Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Indulge me this morning and picture for a moment someone in your life who has truly wronged you. I mean truly wronged you. Maybe you're thinking of a bully at school who made you feel powerless. Maybe it was a friend who betrayed you and made you feel disposable. Maybe it was an authority figure, an overbearing authority figure, who made you feel worthless. Or maybe it was much much worse. Ever been a put? Ever been in a, put in a pit? That's hard to say. Put in a pit and left for dead? No. We'll get to that in a minute. But more than likely, you pictured somebody who took something from you. Maybe changed the way that you saw yourself. Changed the way that you saw others. And quite possibly made many of your relationships a distortion, a twisted distortion of God's intent. Ever been put in a pit and left for dead? No? Well, I don't know what you imagine in your mind, but imagine now that you had the power to impose a reckoning. You know what that means? It's more than revenge. That means to collect on a bill or a debt against you. If I had to boil it down to one word, it means payback. Now, most of us don't have the power or the circumstances to make a reckoning happen. And even if we did, let's face it, all right, our Minnesota slash North Dakota nice, most of us would be uncomfortable with a reckoning anyway, at least if it happened in real life. But to think about it. To think about it, that's a different story. To harbor resentment and ill will. Minnesota and North Dakota nice isn't always nice. Because it can lead us to withdraw from the person that we pictured or just people in general. In fear of getting hurt again, we might allow what happened to affect our relationships as we distrust or fear or don't care about the people who are around us, save for just a select few. And so we take this attitude, just leave me alone, stay away. That's too bad. In today's historical account, and I don't want to call it a story, it's a historical account, it happened in human history, from Genesis, there's a man named Joseph, you know the story, you know the historical account, 
He faces a conundrum for the ages. <laughs> Joseph has power. In fact, he has gained so much power in Egypt that he is basically seen as Pharaoh himself. The gold signet ring that he wears bears testimony to his power. He can make any and all decisions in Pharaoh's name. Command the army, sign a treaty, grant life, grant death. But it wasn't always this way. Joseph, this now powerful person, was once not so powerful. In fact, he found himself at the mercy of his brothers. Brothers who left Joseph in a pit, left him for dead, and then got the bright idea to make money off of this and say, ah, let's not do that. Let's sell him into slavery instead. Think about that. These brothers took quite a bit from Joseph. The coat showing his favored status, his family, his home, his freedom. And once they did that, they had no idea, no idea what happened to their brother. None. Fast forward about 13, 14 years later. And these same brothers, as you heard from our Old Testament reading, come unexpectedly in front of the one they put into a pit, left for dead, then sold into slavery. That's right. The brothers come back to Egypt not once, but twice because of famine in the entire region. Entire ancient Near East. They come all the way from their home in Canaan a place that Joseph once called home. They come because Egypt has what they need to survive. Grain, food, supplies, right? And ironically, they come because Joseph has given that opportunity. So they end up before Joseph. And the really interesting twist is they don't know that the one who now holds their life in his hands is the brother whom they treated so poorly. Now in today's text, the brothers are just done uh, being, being in front of Joseph for a second time. And their brother had been merciful to them with the hopes of seeing his father again and kind of seeing how his other beloved brother, one of the favorites, right, Benjamin is doing and how they're faring, how he's faring, and how his father's faring. And he gets it so that they return with Benjamin, so he can see Benjamin. And all of this, as he sees that his brothers are actually protecting Benjamin, unlike they did to him, it moves Joseph to reveal to his brothers who he is. What a turn of events. The question ultimately is, and this kind of runs throughout Genesis um, until the story of Joseph ends, is what is Joseph really going to do? What's he going to do? How would Joseph 
react to his brothers in need after they forced him into servitude away from his house, away from his home, away from everything that he knew. The brothers knew what they deserved. They knew what a reckoning would mean. Joseph had the power to put them into slavery, sell them into slavery. That might be an appropriate reckoning. Maybe putting them in a pit would be a proper response, you know, in the worldly view. Maybe just send them back home empty-handed, right? It's a little softer, but it'll accomplish the same purpose. None of these things happen. None. What did happen? Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. Right? (laughs) They're freaked out. Don't worry. Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into slavery into e- uh, in Egypt. Right? Jesus, Joseph didn't forget. He didn't, oh, I don't recall what happened. He knows exactly what happened. But here's what he says. Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and that are, there are yet five more in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And then he kind of says it again. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant, for you, a remnant on earth, and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. So yes, Joseph instructs his brothers to go get their father, Israel, Jacob, from Canaan and bring their father back down to Egypt so that the family can be together again, be whole. And surprisingly, Joseph doesn't lord it over them. He doesn't say, oh, I made this choice And so I'm now far superior to you and I'm going to hold it over you for the rest of your life and keep reminding you, digging it in and digging it in. Joseph doesn't approach this renewed relationship that way at all. The message for their father, for Joseph's beloved father Jacob, would also be how Joseph would deal with his brothers. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. And then, perhaps, Joseph says one of the most surprising things of all. I will provide for you. For there are yet still five years of famine. You ain't going to make it on your own. So that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty, ruin. What's your questions this morning? Mine is this one. 
Okay? This is my biggest question. How? How? How did Joseph forego not only revenge and reckoning, but resentment? How? How did he respond with a loving attitude to those who had wronged him so severely and clearly deserved punishment? How? And the answer is God. Only by remembering and seeing God's gracious care and activity and love and provision and guidance for Him, God guiding everything that He did, only considering God's mercy for Him, and only seeing God's design through this tragedy that God's going to bring something good out of it, only through those things does Joseph even begin to be able to do what he did. We hear Joseph say, God sent me before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant and keep you alive for many survivors. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Hmm. Joseph is considering what God is doing. Not what he wants to do, but what God is doing. I don't know. This might seem to suggest that in certain situations we hold another person's, let's just say, life in our hands. Certain situations we hold another person's life in our hands. And what we say and what we do to them matters. Maybe in ways you don't realize. But to say that we hold their life in our hands is really just an illusion. The one who truly holds their life in his hands is God himself. Do you really want to put yourself in the place of God? Do you? I wouldn't suggest it. Joseph certainly didn't. Picture for a moment that same someone in your life who truly, I mean truly wronged you. How can you forego resentment, reckoning, revenge? How can you respond with a loving attitude to those who wronged you so severely? The only way to do it is not necessarily to identify with Joseph, but to identify with Joseph's brothers. All right? Because of your sins, mine too, because of your sins, because of your rebellion, because of your insolence, your brother, our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord in the flesh, was given over to something worse than Joseph. He was not sold into slavery into Egypt, although he went down to Egypt fleeing for his life when he was just a toddler. 
He was not sold into slavery into Egypt, but was actually made sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He was made a curse, a reproach. He was not only left for dead, he was brutally beaten, tortured, murdered. He was not only taken from earthly father and mother and sisters and brothers, he was abandoned by those who seemingly loved him most and abandoned by the heavenly father himself for your sake, according to God's plan. And here's the deal. How does Jesus respond to us, to the sins and sinners whose thoughts, words, and deeds are the very reason that he goes to the cross? How does he respond? How does Jesus treat those who retreat from him, hide from him, lower their heads when others deride him or derail him? How does Jesus see those who despise his, his care and his love and his gifts? How does Jesus deal with those who constantly return to evil and really give no thought about what they're doing or care? Right? Devil may care attitude. He does not seek to cast us out. He draws near. He draws near to us. He comes each and every week, the righteous for the unrighteous, to give forgiveness of sins and life in His name. He bids us that anyone on the side of truth, you want to know the truth? Hear my voice. Here it is. I'll tell you truth. You want to know the truth? Don't say, well, I don't think that's true. Oh, I hear that so often. When you tell them something from the Bible, I don't think that's true. Jesus bids you, no, listen to me. The Father bids you, listen to him. He bids you to take, eat, and take, drink. Not the earthly provisions that Joseph provided for his brothers, but to eat and drink Jesus himself. The bread of heaven who offers his true body and true blood for the forgiveness of sins and strengthening of your faith. Through his church, Jesus bids you, come near me, please. That I may provide for you. After all, God sent Jesus not just to preserve life but to give life, to give eternal life to all who would believe. Eternal life to sinners, to those who in no way deserve God's mercy, to those with no way back to God. To them, Jesus says, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. I have come to call sinners to repentance, to dispense mercy, life, and grace so that you may live. Don't place yourself in the place of Joseph in this story. You don't really belong there. 
first place yourself in the position of Joseph's brothers before God. Place yourself in the positions of Joseph's brothers because that's where it all starts. And then through the love of Christ, then we can start to actually think and respond appropriately to people we feel who have wronged us. We must consider God's gracious mercy, patience, and love to us. A mercy and patience and love that far outweighs even what Joseph had for his brothers. Then and only then can we begin to understand the ways of God, God's plan, that others might receive the good news. In the last few days, I, uh, I met a man who admitted to me that he had made some questionable decisions in his life. And he, he lamented how that affected others. Right? He saw that it was, it was in weakness. Now he's unsure if they can or ever will forgive him. He knows he stands before God, forgiven and free. And that through God's forgiveness in Christ, he truly has peace and pardon. But he longs for the day to receive forgiveness from those whom he did not always do the right thing. And he doesn't have it yet. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Joseph and Jesus point us to God as the source of all Forgiveness, And when we consider God's forgiveness, that overcomes and overpowers and overwhelms any reckoning that we could muster. Why? Because the wages of sin, the full punishment of sin, the full force of godly wrath have been dispensed. They have been meted out. And they went on Christ. So that in Him, God's mercy may abound in our lives and even spill over into the lives of those around us. God's love in Christ has a way of meeting the most despicable thoughts, words, and deeds with forgiveness and restoration. God's love in Christ even has a way of meeting the most despicable thoughts, words, and and deeds with the response. Come near to me, please. Amen. Now may the peace which transcends all human understanding guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.